So I wanted to join the Royal Marines from a very early age. I think the idea first occurred to me when I was about eight. And by the age of 12, uh, I was dead set on it. Uh, there was only one problem. I was quite a short child. I mean, I'm not exactly tall now, but I was a really short child. And there's a minimum height requirement for the Marines. I think it's uh, 168 centimeters or something like that. So I wanted to grow. I was desperate to grow. I had the height marked out on my wall at home, the height that I, I had to reach. And my mum would measure me up and mark the height on the wall and I could uh, plot my progress as I got closer to it. Uh, my dad su suggested subjecting me to the rack, you know, that medieval torture device that stretches people out. And as painful as that would have been, I think I would have been prepared to try it. I long to grow in the physical sense. But today we're not talking about physical growth, we're talking about spiritual growth. I wonder how many of us have that same kind of longing for spiritual growth. And are we prepared for it being a potentially painful process? Today we're talking about next steps in growth, and we've heard this amazing illustration that Jesus gave about a vine, its branches, and the gardener. Some branches bear fruit and others do not. The fruit itself represents uh, the spiritual growth that a Christian sees in his or her life. But before we get all, uh, into all that, we need to set this passage in its context because the timing of this illustration is of great significance. So it's Thursday of Holy Week, the night that Jesus and his disciples gathered in the upper room for the Last Supper. The next day, Jesus would be crucified, and he knows it. And during that meal, Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now, this confused the disciples because it was only Jesus and the 12 of them there. Uh, they, they couldn't imagine who among their group would possibly uh, betray Jesus. Uh, they were his closest friends. But Jesus identified Judas and Judas went out into the night to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus says, come now, let us leave. And this, if you like, is the, the, the end of that scene. And then at the beginning of 80, chapter 18, it uh, describes how Jesus and the disciples crossed the Kidron Valley just outside Jerusalem, and they entered the garden that we know to be the Garden of Gethsemane. So, so it could be that Jesus gave this illustration about a vine and its branches somewhere between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. And the whole time, I imagine that the disciples were trying to process what it is that had just happened with Judas. So Jesus helps them to understand by way of this illustration. So what did it mean? What was Jesus saying? Well, it's a very simple illustration taken from agriculture. Everyone would have been familiar with vineyards. But as we'll see, this illustration has a profound meaning that connects the events of that night with the history of Israel. Jesus began by saying, I am the true vine. He says this with another vine or vineyard in mind. A defective, corrupted, degenerate, fruitless vine, a false vine. And the false vine or vineyard is Israel. 
And it's an image that we see repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. Israel was a vine with no spiritual fruit. It wasn't producing anything that was pleasing to God. Quite the opposite. That's why we read those verses from Isaiah 5. God had done everything he could for this vineyard. He had lovingly tended it, but it had yielded only bad fruit. And in the end, that vineyard became a wasteland. God's purposes were resting on Israel. But Israel messed it up, rebelled against God, did the absolute opposite. And so now God's purposes are resting on Jesus. Jesus is the true vine, not Israel. Being a member of God's people now has nothing to do with belonging to the nation of Israel and everything to do with belonging to Jesus. So Jesus is a true vine, and there are two kinds of branches. There are those that bear fruit and those that do not. And think back to that meal in the upper room. Those two branches, those two kinds of disciple were present there. There was Judas, a fruitless branch, a false disciple. And then there were the other 11 disciples, fruitful branches and genuine disciples. But notice it was only Jesus who could see their hearts. It was only Jesus who could determine who was fruitful and who was fruitless, who was true and who was false. In the church today, there will be branches that appear to be attached to the vine, but they're not bearing any fruit. And when we hear that, it's very tempting to to look around, figuratively speaking, and think, well, who's the fruitless branch? Who's the false disciple? Who's the Judas? Well, we don't have to concern ourselves with that. All we need to do is look inside our own hearts and examine our own lives to see whether or not we're producing fruit. And you might say, well, what is that fruit? And at this point, you could send yourself into a panic by comparing yourself to other Christians who seem to be everything that you feel you're not. Well, let me tell you what this fruit isn't. It's got nothing to do with skills, gifts, abilities, or Bible knowledge. It's not about being an all-singing, all-dancing, sparkly Christian. It's certainly not about being perfect. If we abide in Christ, if we are genuinely attached to the true vine, the fruit that will develop in our lives, and this is really important, pay attention to this, the fruit that will develop in our lives is righteous attitudes, longings, desires, priorities, virtues, characteristics, and behaviors. Those things will gradually begin to line up with God's good, perfect, and pleasing will for our lives. Or as it says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. As this fruit in our, as this fruit grows in our lives, we'll become less orientated towards ourselves and more orientated towards Christ and His kingdom. And who knows how God might be able to use us. But remember, fruit takes time to grow. So the next time you run out of patience or get depressed or think things that you shouldn't be thinking, or do things that you shouldn't be doing. Don't think, oh no, I'm a fruitless 
branch, I'm going to be thrown into the fire, I'm going to hell. No, if you know and love Jesus, just recognize that you're a branch that is not as laden with fruit as it could be. There's room for more growth. There's room for more fruit. As I said, when we talk about spiritual fruit, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a direction of travel. You might look at someone and think, well, I hope you wouldn't, but someone might look at someone and think, well, that person hasn't got much fruit on their branch. There's not much fruit in their lives. But if that person's starting point was a broken home, abuse, drug, drug addiction, prostitution, hurt, and hatred, it could be that they produce tremendous fruit. It's all relative, isn't it? It's the direction of travel that matters. But it is important that we see spiritual fruit growing in our lives. Verse 8, Jesus said, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In other words, the fruit is evidence that we are truly Jesus' disciples. It's evidence that we are truly saved. We're not saved by the fruit. The fruit is the evidence. Jesus presents us with with two options. Allow me to read verses 5 and 6 again. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. That's Jesus talking, and it can be quite startling, but the choice is clear. We'd be a genuine disciple and bear fruit, or we can be a false disciple and bear no fruit. We can remain in Christ forever, or we can be cut off from Christ forever. Jesus is talking about our eternal salvation. This is important stuff. And you might say, well, does every Christian bear fruit? Yes, every Christian bears fruit. That's one of the ways that you'll know that you're a Christian. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We exist in a marred, fallen, broken state, every single one of us. When we turn to Christ, we become a new creation in order that we might become more fully human, that we might reach our full potential. Of course, none of us will reach our full potential in this life, but that is our trajectory. The Christian life is therefore one of growth, one of spiritual growth. The fruit that we're talking about today is evidence of that growth. It's evidence that we've been created anew in Christ Jesus. Matthew 7, verse 17, Jesus said, Every good tree bears good fruit. Christians shall be known by their fruit. We're not talking about perfection, but a trajectory of growth in Christ. And one thing for sure, if we remain in Christ, we will bear good fruit. But how do we remain in Christ? What does that even mean? Well, I think there are two aspects to this. Firstly, we remain in the community that knows and loves Jesus and worships him as Lord. In other words, we remain in the church, the body of Christ. The church is the visible presence of Christ in the world. Why would we ever want to be disconnected from it? Why would we want to be disconnected from Jesus? I mean, if we think of Jesus' illustration, that branch, 
And yeah, how ludicrous is it to think that a branch might say, okay, I'm just going to detach myself from the vine and hope that I keep growing lots of fruit. I'm going to go it alone. I don't need that vine. It's ridiculous. And so it's, it's the same thing. If we kind of remove ourselves completely from the church, we're removing ourselves from the vine. Of course, it is possible to be physically separated from the body and still belong to the body. If you're a Christian uh, serving solitary confinement in a North Korean prison, then in, uh, in a sense you are um, separated from the body, but you still belong to the body. But that's an extreme case. For most of us, remaining in Christ means remaining in the church. Not necessarily this church, we're just one part of the body of Christ, although I'd be delighted if you uh, remained in this church. But if we think back to Judas, he was with Christ, wasn't he? He was one of the disciples, he was trusted, he was uh, the one that looked after the money, he was like their treasurer. And if you think of it in church terms, you couldn't get someone more plugged in than Judas was. He had the appearance of being connected, and yet he was bearing uh, no fruit, or he was bearing fruit, but that fruit was bad. The second aspect of remaining in Christ is our heart's attitude towards him. Do I love Jesus? Have I surrendered my life to Jesus? Have I made Jesus the Lord of my life? Do I long to serve Jesus faithfully? doesn't matter how long you hang out in the church. If the answer to any of those questions is no, you will not bear fruit. And you might say, well, those things seem like fruits themselves. You know, loving Christ, surrendering our lives to him, longing to serve him. And Jesus said, didn't he, any branch that bears fruit, the Father will prune so that it bears even more fruit. So as soon as we start moving towards Jesus, and certainly when we surrender our lives to Christ, There's a certain amount of fruit that appears on our branch straight away, repentance and faith at the very least. And then as we remain in Christ, we become even more fruitful. You remember that trajectory of growth. And we should long, we should long for this growth in our lives more than anything else. If you decide that you're going to learn to play the piano, you don't stop taking lessons as soon as you perfected Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. You don't say, right, okay, I've got it now. I can play the piano. I can, I can push that one to the side now. Job done. No, for a pianist, it's, um, you, you, you want to keep improving, don't you? You want to keep developing. You want to get better. Now, for a pianist, there is at least in theory a point where their performance is flawless. They can't get any better, but few reach that point, and maybe the musicians uh, among us will, will tell me that no one ever reaches that point. But certainly when it comes to the Christian life, we're not going to be perfect this side of the grave. There is always room for growth. There is always room for more fruit on our branch. And the fruit grows, Jesus says, through a process of pruning. If you don't prune vines, they just become a tangled mess and they don't produce anything. I think the first thing to say about this is that God prunes us because he loves us and he wants the best for us. And I have to say this because pruning can be a very painful process. But we need to be pruned because there's stuff in our lives that is holding us back or, or stunting our growth. 
uh, attitudes, distractions, sinful behavior. God needs to deal with that stuff, but it's not easy because we're stubborn and we don't want to change. We literally don't know what's good for us. God can use all kinds of situations and circumstances to do the pruning. But we need to be careful. We cannot attribute every bad thing that happens in our lives to God's pruning. If you've been through a very traumatic experience and it's left you damaged and broken, that was not God pruning you. On the other hand, if you've come through a really tough time and you've grown spiritually as a result, then there's a good chance uh, that was God pruning you. I believe that God can use any situation, no matter how dire, no matter how painful, to prune us. However, that is not the same thing as saying that God causes evil things to happen to us. But certainly God can prune us. God can change us for the better through the worst of situations, through sickness, hardship, persecution, failure, disappointment, even grief. But for the pruning to happen, we must remain in Christ. So we have to be willing to go through this process of pruning and stay in step with the Spirit, no matter what's happening in our lives. I think of the testimony that Sandra shared some months back, how she was cut out of her uncle's will. Her sister got millions and she got nothing. Uh, A lot of people in that situation would be bitter for life. They wouldn't be able to let it go. Uh, It might even ruin their whole lives. Amazingly, Sandra is grateful that it happened because now she gets to see God's hand of blessing on her ministry in Indonesia instead of funding it all herself. Now, I'm sure Sandra wouldn't have chosen to be cut out of her uncle's will. But when it happened, she was able to accept what God was doing, or she came to accept it, and that's part of the growth. So pruning is painful, or it can be, but it's for our own good, even if we can't see it at the time. So it's my hope and prayer that every member of this church will want to keep growing in the Christian life, that each one of us will long, that we will long to be more like Jesus. We know that everyone who remains in Christ will bear fruit, will bear good fruit. But let's just recap. How do we remain in Christ? We remain in the community that knows and loves him. We maintain a right heart attitude towards him and we submit to the pruner's knife when necessary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are flawed, sinful, broken human beings who need to change and we need your help to change. We long to produce good fruit in our lives. We long to be more like your son, Jesus. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will bring about that growth. But we know that this is something we must participate in. And so we pray that we will lean into you, that we will look to you for our strength and our guidance and our hope, putting our complete trust in you and letting go of all those things that might be holding us back. Help us, Father, to not focus on ourselves, but focus on Christ and his kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to remind